Thank you, Miss Vicky, for filling in for Dr. Long. He's going to be out for a couple weeks, so we're glad to have Miss Vicky filling in for us. If you have uh, the Bi- your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Luke chapter six. We're going to hopefully finish uh, this passage today. This is actually uh, about our third week here in these verses. I only have part two there, but it's really about our third week. Uh, but today, I plan for us to finish this passage before us, and so. Let's hear these words again from Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 20 and reading through verse 26. Jesus says there, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so the fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your word for for a third time, uh, Lord, there's clearly much here for us to chew on, much to digest, not only as we consider the, the meaning of these words, but as we consider our own lives and the application of these words to our lives And Lord, as we've already said today, if you don't do the work of applying it, it won't get done. And so we pray that you would speak in a real and mighty way through these words. Not not my voice to be heard, but your voice speaking to our hearts, convicting us, showing us the truth of our sin, but also showing us the grace and the mercy of our dear Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Blessings and woes, part two. Well, I think that I have mentioned to you probably um, several times uh, that over the past few months, I have been taking a course uh, on the writings of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, And those are books that that are often obscure. They're often difficult for us to to understand. And so they're often neglected. uh, But it has turned out to be one of my favorite courses. It's turned out to be one of my favorite classes that I've taken. And there's several reasons for that. But but two I wanted to share with you. One is that as you read through those Old Testament prophets, you can't help but just be hit over and over and over again with the reality of how dependent the New Testament writers were on these men, on these books, almost on every page, almost in every verse, in every allusion, uh, in, in every theme, you see the New Testament coming through, or maybe you see the Old Testament in the New Testament coming through. These were men who were steeped in what God had done in the past. Now, that's, that's a wonderful reminder to us today in the 21st century. So often we are quick to, I think the term is unhitch the Old Testament from our faith. But we can't do that. Uh, The the Bible doesn't do that. The New Testament writers didn't do that. And so we must always focus in on on the whole counsel of God. Remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus. He opens up the Bible starting, starting with the Torah, starting with Moses. He goes through the writings. He goes through the prophets. And he shows them how all of this 
He says, it's about me. This is about who I am. And so we, we see Jesus on every page, and it's been wonderful. It's been eye-opening to see that as we've moved through the text. But the, the second reason why this has been one of my favorite courses is because we've been able to kind of delve into the lives of the prophets themselves. And these men are interesting men. And what you see as you study all of them is similar characteristics, similar challenges, similar ways that the Lord worked in their lives. These are men who were called by God, some of them in miraculous ways. You think about Isaiah, uh, you think about Ezekiel, the the visions that they saw. Uh, These are also men that though they were called in those miraculous ways, they were often reluctant to take that call. You think about Isaiah, he's, he's terrified. Jeremiah says, I'm too young to do this. I can't go and do what you call me to do. But then at the same time, over and over again, that they have God's assurance to them, right? They, they were right to, to be concerned. You know, God sends Isaiah out to a people who he says, they're going to harden their hearts. They're not going to listen to a word you say, but you keep preaching my word over and over and over again. Jeremiah has to face false prophets. He's persecuted by his own family. Think about Habakkuk. He begins his book with, How long, O Lord, how long will you continue to do these things? And so these are men who suffered. They suffered with the people. They suffered for the sins of the people. And they wept over God's judgment that was coming. Yet, again, through it all, these are men that also had a front row seat to every assurance, to every promise of God. Yes, destruction, judgment was coming, but that was not the end. There was a branch, that there was a servant, that there was one coming who was going to lead the people, a Messiah, a Davidic king, who was going to save them all. And they heard those promises firsthand. They were able to take them out. And so, yes, their lives are full of hardships. They're full of trials. Yet maybe more than anybody, they were able to live in the reality of what God was doing, the truth of what God was doing. From an earthly perspective, these men's lives were a wreck, yet they were blessed beyond measure. Well, guys, I begin there this morning with these prophets because it seems to me that as we look at their lives and then as we consider these words of Jesus before us this morning, what he is calling us to, the lives that he is calling us all to live as his people, they look very similar to the lives that the prophets were called to live as well, right? This is the life that he has called his people throughout time, throughout history, to live. Remember last week, we began here by saying, that first, that, that there was a blessing to the poor and a woe to the rich. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, and woe to you are rich, for you have received your consolation. And we said, obviously, that primarily these have a spiritual emphasis. There's, there's nothing about earthly wealth necessarily or a lack thereof that can save us, nor can it necessarily condemn us. You know, it is spiritual poorness that God points us to, that we fall before him, confessing our sins, telling him who we are, the reality, the truth of our hearts. That's what he seeks. But we we did say that that while these things can't save us, they don't necessarily condemn us, we did say that that earthly riches, 
They can lead us away. They can make us forget our great need, our complete dependence on Christ. There's danger in the self-sufficiency, in the independence, in the wealth that we so often seek as Americans. Think about the, the, uh, the America that we live in today. Everybody's chasing something, something that will finally satisfy them. God says, no, those things will not satisfy you. Guys, those things, the only thing that will satisfy you is him, is his word. Next, we saw a blessing to the hungry and a woe to those who are full. Here we did emphasize that that spiritual nature of what Christ is saying. Uh, Just as the deer pants for water, so God's people long after him. We see that with the prophets over and over. They long to hear from God. Habakkuk cries out, God, how long will you be silent? Speak to us. They long to hear. And as Augustine said, we are never satisfied, or we should never be satisfied, until our souls are satisfied only in him. There's a promise to those who are hungry. They will be filled. There is a woe to those who are filled now. For in that day when he returns, they will be hungry. And so already here in this passage, we have seen as Christ speaks to his apostles. See, it speaks to his disciples. He just, as he describes the way his people should be, how antithetical it is to, to the, our modern way of thinking. How different it is from the world. How different our lives should truly be. Now, I want us to continue to see that here in these last two pairs of blessings and woes. And my goal is to consider these and then to be able to finish with just kind of some big picture applications. That may be ambitious, but let's get to it and let's see what we can get through. So first, I want you to notice here a blessing to those who weep and a woe to those who laugh. A blessing to those who weep and a woe to those who laugh. Now, at first glance, just a surface reading of this verse, it would seem to support the idea uh, that so often people outside of the church have of Christians, right? That, that God, that Jesus, that the church, all of his word, it's just there to, to ruin our fun. It's just there so that we can't do the things that we want to do. You know, we have to be buttoned up. Maybe even to some degree, according to this, we have to be sad, right? That's often the, the perception that the world has of us and the way that we live. But obviously, that, that's not what Jesus means, right? That, that's not true of us as Christians. If anything, we have a joy that is unexpressible. If anything, knowing the truth of what Christ has done should make us live in a way where people see the joy in our hearts. The same God who made weeping, who gave us the capacity for that, he also gave us the capacity to laugh, to have joy. And so certainly what Christ means here is not that we are to be sold up all the time and that we are not to have any fun. And so what is the point that Jesus is trying to make to us? Well, friends, I would suggest to you that far from being a burden to us, these verses there in 21b and then over into 25b, these verses are one of the great promises that that God has given to us. I don't have to tell any of you that often this life is full of hardships. It's full of trials. It's full of weeping. 
And often that's especially true for us as Christians, or at least it should be. As we look out at the world, as we see our own sin, as we see the sin that is devastating life after life, as we see the sin that is devastating the world around us, friends, it should drive us to our knees, should drive us to cry out before the Lord. Again, like Habakkuk, how long, O Lord, will you allow this to endure? How long will we continue on seeing people wrecked by their own sin, by their own doing? In real ways, we are people who weep at some point, all of us, I think, if we truly know the holiness and the righteousness of God, if we truly have some concept of the, of the reality, the, 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 the heinousness of sin, at some point we have cried out to God, Lord, take this away from me. Let me be free of this guilt. Let me be free of this sin. Like Paul, we have cried out, Lord, who will deliver me from this body? This wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me? Friends, the joy of what we have here is that Christ is that one. He, he is the one who delivers. He is the one who brings laughing. He is the one who brings joy in the morning. Yes, weeping may tarry for a time. Yes, we live in a world where sin is still with us. And we still struggle with it ourselves every day. And yes, we cry out, Lord, take this from us. And that's right to do. The reality is, is the one who has died for us, he will do that. He will take that sin from us one day. And then that day there will be laughing. There will be joy. As Christians, we long to be free from sin and all of its effects. We long to be like our Savior. And so we weep now. We weep not only for sin's effects, but we, sin, we weep for its presence in our lives, looking to the reality of what he's done. Let me pause there for just a second. Do you feel that burden? you feel that burden of sin, that weight of it in your heart? The Christian life is not one where we are, are constantly to beat ourselves up or we're always depressed. But friends, it is one where, where having seen the holiness, having seen the, the beauty of our Savior, and then having seen the awful results of sin, Him crucified, Him beaten, Him crushed by the Father on our behalf, if we can see that and not weep over sin, if we can see that and not feel the weight of it all, friends, I don't know that we've truly seen it. I don't know that we have truly seen the beauty of what Jesus has done. And so I ask you again, do you mourn for your sin? Do you weep over it? Do you mourn for the sin of the world, those around you? Even unbelievers, do you mourn for, for the reality of what sin is doing to their lives? you pray for them? Do you ask God, be merciful to them, be gracious to them, show them the truth of what you have done? Friends, there's a day coming where those who laugh now, who rejoice, who think they have everything that, that this world has to offer, they enjoy all the pleasures of this world, but don't have him. There's a day of weeping, a day of gnashing of teeth coming, and it is as real as anything we experience right now. 
And so we weep. We, we weep for them. We weep for them looking to what Christ has done. Again, let, let, me, let me give you the, the promise here again in 21b. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Isn't that wonderful? For all those who are resting in Christ, that we may experience hardships, that we may experience trials, that we may find ourselves weeping at every turn, there is joy. There is joy in the morning. He has promised a day where he will get us safely home. And friends, on that day, this God who was crushed for us, he promises to stoop down and to wipe away those tears from our eyes. That weeping, he takes an account of every bit of it. Nothing happens in your life if you belong to him. Parents, think about your kids. Think about how you would go to defend them no matter what. If somebody was unkind to them or said something bad to them, think of how you would defend them. That that God that, that has crushed his son for us, he says, you are my children. He sees every slight. He sees every hardship, every tear we shed. And he promises one day to wipe those tears from our eyes. Friends, we can rejoice today. Yes, I don't know what hardship you're experiencing now. I don't know what trial you are going through right now. But there is joy if you are resting in Christ because he is with you. And he will not forsake you. And he will get you safely home. So we see a blessing to those who weep now and a woe to those who laugh. Uh, But secondly, we also see a blessing to those who are reviled and a woe to those who are spoken well of. And you see that in verses 22 and then on over in verses 20, in verse 26. Now, I have to admit to you this morning that these words, uh, they're particularly difficult for me personally. Um, I have a, a real desire to be universally liked by all people. Um, I, I want to, to be well spoken of, and I suspect that for many of you, having grown up in the South, uh, that you feel that too. Uh, You feel that need to put on a a good face, a good mask, to go out in the world and make people like you at at all cost. And to some degree, that's that's not completely a bad thing, to to want to be liked. You know, Jesus says, or or Paul says to to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 7, as he gives us the the requirements for, uh, for elders, He says they need to be liked by those outside. They need to be well-respected. They need to be good folks. And Jesus gives us that as well. You know, he calls us to love our enemies, to treat people as we want to be treated. So again, I don't think the the problem is is if we're disliked by people. Um, But again, what what is the the problem here? What, What does he have in mind? Well, I think we see it there that the key word is in verse 22 when he says, Uh, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile you and they spur your name as evil. Why? On the account of the Son of Man. It's important to remember who, who it is that Jesus is speaking to here. His apostles, his disciples who are getting ready to go out into a world that is going to hate them, that is going to persecute them that is going to do their best to kill them at every turn. And the truth is, with the apostles, they are all going to die, the majority of them, a horrible, horrible, 
painful death. And so Jesus is preparing them now for the reality of what they will experience as his people. That doesn't sound very appealing to us. He wants them to understand that when those things come, that far from being a sign of his displeasure, far from being a sign that they need to turn away, that this is the reality, this is the truth, that they are following him, that they do follow him and trust in him. Yes, their, their woes, their trials will be great, but their reward in heaven will be greater. He will be with them. He will get them through. And so they can rejoice. They, they can leap for joy. You think about James. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you experience trials of various kinds, right? How can he say that? Because he knows that Jesus, is, he sees them all. He is with them. He is going to see them through. I, many of you, I had a quote from Bonhoeffer, and I don't have it with me, but many of you have read The, the Cost of Discipleship and just read all that, that he went through in, in Nazi Germany, standing up for Christians, and he wrote just so eloquently about bearing our cross for Christ, about bearing the shame of Jesus, about being willing to, to face reviling and persecution. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, friends, again, we have to pause as we look at our lives, as we consider our walk with Jesus how much suffering do we really experience as Christians in America today? Obviously, it's more than what it once was, but truly, isn't it what we would call more of a nuisance at this point than it really is hate or reviling? Certainly, our lives have not been threatened at this point. And look, that, that's a blessing. I don't mean to minimize that. That's a good thing. It's good that we live in a place where we are not persecuted. But we, we so often think that, that we, have it, we have a really bad situation. Christ here points us that we look out at the world and we see far worse. But my question to us is the truth is, is often we don't experience persecution as the church, as God's people, not, not for a lack of opportunity, but because we are unwilling to do so. Lots of times we don't experience these things that the disciples experience, not because the opportunity is not there, but so often we are unwilling to do the things that, that Christ calls us to do. We're quick to compromise with the world. We're quick to dismiss and justify our sins, the sins of those around us. And instead of standing on truth, instead of standing on the, the very words of God, we so badly want to, to fit in with the world around us that we'll do most anything to have them speak well of us. And so have we ever considered that, that part of the reason why the world doesn't persecute us, part of the reason why they don't respect us, part of the reason why they don't really have much to do with us, is because as they look in at us, our lives don't look that much different than theirs. There's not a big distinction between the lives of the people in the church and the lives of the people outside of the church. Friends, this, this is the beginning of the big points of application. We're going to run out of time, so let's just hit it now. This is the beginning of it. Christ is calling us here to lives that are transformed. And the reality is, is there are lives that may be hard. But that is what it means to follow after him. It means taking up our cross and bearing it, and going where he leads. And if that means persecution now, then friends, we do it. 
Not because we like it, not because we're trying to get into his good graces. But friends, that's where he's called us, and that's what he's done for us. And because he has said, I will be with you. I'm going to get you through all of these things. You just follow me. That was the problem with the prophets in the Old Testament, those false prophets. that They wanted just to, to be liked by the kings, by the people, so they just told them what they wanted to hear. They didn't stand on God's word, and they were loved for it. Friends, too often, from pulpits all over the world today, that's what people are getting. They're just getting fluff. They're just getting feel-good things. It builds large congregations. It builds good feelings. It also sends us straight to hell. It condemns us, right? We must stand on what God has said, the truth. We can't waver. Certainly not to to try to fit into the world. And so, as we try to, to wrap this up, Are are we willing, are we ready to suffer for the gospel's sake? Are we ready to to bear our cross for Christ? The truth is, is, is it seems like real persecution may be on the horizon. If not for us, certainly for our children. The question is, is will we be able to stand in that day? Will we be willing to stand in that day so that we might be able to rejoice? That we might be able to leap for joy, looking to Christ, to his suffering, knowing that he has prepared a place for us. Friends, the truth is, even at our best, we're going to fail. Even at our best, we're not going to get this right. Our sin is still with us. We're still going to compromise. We're still going to fall short of God's glory. And so it's only, only as we look to Christ. It's only as we look to his perfect righteousness that we can truly live for him, that we can endure the trials and hardships, the persecutions. Yes, we are weak, but friends, he is strong and he has promised to be with us. So by his grace, through faith, look to him today. Find real wealth. Find real satisfaction. Find a real reason to laugh, a real reason for joy. Find it in Christ. Thanks be to him for Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we finish this this passage. It has been a challenging one to us, and there'll be more challenges ahead. Uh, And Lord, as we consider the life that you call us to live, uh, Lord, the truth is, is is we are hesitant so often to do that. We want to be liked. We want to be well spoken of. We don't want to go against the grain. Uh, And yet, Father, that's the truth of of what you've called us to do. And so we pray that you would give us the the courage uh, and the strength, the wisdom to go out into the world Uh, and to live in this way. Lord, how we thank you for your protection. How we thank you that you have have guarded us for so long. And we pray that that might continue. But Lord, even if not, uh, help us to be your people in a lost and unbelieving world. Help Jesus to to go out. Uh, Lord, we pray that many, many would come to know the truth of who he is, the truth of what he's done. And we pray that that might begin even here, even with us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our closing hymn is hymn number 529.